Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to the second episode of the Wandering Warriors podcast, Veterans in the Spotlight. I'm your host, Dan Parker, and today we'll be talking with our guest, Kirk Foster, on his recent transition out of defence. We'll delve into his motivation for joining the Army, cover his service career, including his time as a Special Forces Operator at the 2nd Commando Regiment, his work as a military dog handler, and also come to understand how he approached his transition out of the Army to now being a small business owner whilst currently studying for a full-time MBA through the Australian Graduate School of Management. So strap yourself in. I'm looking forward to this one. There are sure to be some great takeaways and lessons learnt for all. Wandering Warriors' purpose and dedication is providing support and care to veterans and their families through education, employment, respite and mentoring programs. Some of the initiatives that have been raised are delivering great outcomes through the Wandering Warriors Education Pathways Program, namely the MBA scholarships through the University of Queensland and the Australian Graduate School of Management, University of New South Wales. We are also working with Queensland and New South Wales governments and their respective TAFE schemes on technical and vocation studies. Partnerships have also been established with defence industry, along with Salesforce, who offer a free education and certification program for all veterans and their spouses. I'd also like to make a shout out to our main sponsors, Omni Executive, a management consultancy and strategic service organisation focused on government and regulated industries, who are a big employer of veterans throughout Australia. Stripe International, based in the Middle East, offering strategic services, and Safran Group, a global high-technology organisation operating in the aviation, defence and space markets. Now, I'd like to introduce our guest. He is the owner of a small business, Soul Cleanse, an organic juice company, and the current recipient of the Wandering Warriors and Australian Graduate School of Management full-time MBA scholarship. He started his career within the Australian Army, which saw him complete 10 years of service, most of his time spent within special operations. During his time in the military, seen him travel all across the globe, including multiple deployments to the Middle East. I'd like to welcome Kirk Foster. Kirk, thank you for joining me. Hey, Dan. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, It's a real honour to be here. Unprecedented times that we're living in. We've seen some relaxation to the social distancing laws here in New South Wales. Let me ask you this. Have you been to a restaurant yet? Uh, I haven't, actually. I'm still all about that takeaway life. What about you? I have to share that I have. Uh, fortunately, or well, unfortunately, it wasn't with my wife. It was with a mate, and I did get caught out. <laughs> you got busted hard, didn't you? I did, I did. Now, you're a keen surfer, and there's been a few waves kicking around here in Sydney. Talk to us. Did you yeah, manage got- to catch any of that? eight to ten foot swell that came screaming through last weekend? I did actually and we've been on a uni break for the last few weeks so I've been getting out there as much as I can and I'll just caveat this whole part with I am not a pro surfer by any means but there is something humbling about being out and you know double overhead and and a half uh, in massive surf. I find it quite humbling getting getting dumped by a really really big wave Uh, but yeah it's just awesome to be out and there has been some wicked surf down south and um, Balambi and Coldale and Stanwell and stuff like that. And up in the northern beaches, we've you know we've been uh, blessed with the presence of the man himself, Kelly Slater, oh, nice. uh, who's been snapping surfboards all over the place. <laughs> um, and, and mind you, there's been a crowd uh, also 
have got behind him with their drones and what have you. So, um, yeah, last weekend was quite a spectacle. So, Kirk, we're going to cover your a bit of your background and transition and, and your life post-service career and, and what you're looking forward to in the future. I, w- I wanted to come to understand, in, you know, you've, you have a, an extraordinary kind of childhood experience. Um, I'd love to know more about that and what kind of led you to join the Army. Yeah, so I was born in New Zealand and I grew up in Christchurch, spent a lot of time like outdoors, a lot of snowboarding down in Queenstown, had a, had a really great childhood. But, you know, from a, a young age, I was actually quite a, you know, I was quite a soft kid, very like, overly emotional, like no self-confidence really. So my mum enrolled me in a karate class from the age of four or five. And this a sensei of this class ended up being becoming my stepdad. So all throughout, you know, um, primary and the early stages of high school, uh, we moved around a lot, so I was kind of always this, this you know, soft new kid that was a you know, just prime target for bullies. And you know, in the background, you know, my stepdad at the time was just you know really pushing me and working me hard uh, every single week, a couple of times a week, mostly always to my breaking point where I end up in tears. But what was happening was he was kind of identifying that there was a part of me that was actually really thriving under the challenge and under under all that pressure. And that was kind of, you know, what ultimately led me to really be just, I loved the challenge and I loved the discipline that martial arts offered. And now looking back in hindsight, that was really what led me down this path to pursuing the military as kind of like that next evolution of, you know, what is that next like ultimate challenge can I take to to see what I'm truly capable of? And martial arts and, you know, drawing the parallels to to the Army and more specifically to special operations, um, you know, did you find that um, that skill set, that experience that you had also helped you within your service life? Oh, definitely. If anything, it was um, like self-discipline, which is obviously a huge sort of desired soft skill within defence. That discipline and this that ability to kind of you know endure a bit of hardship and back yourself when the when the chips are down that was essentially what gave me the basis to at least you know think about joining the army and definitely served me all throughout my career. So during your service career, would you be able to just share with us and and help me understand you know what did that look like for yourself from joining as a young soldier uh, in his early twenties all the way through to obviously transition. Yeah, so I joined the Army in March 2011 as an infantry soldier. I had this um, kind of view to that I was going to go to. I always knew I was going to Special Forces. That was um, the ultimate goal as I was in search of that the ultimate challenge. As soon as I learnt about Special Forces, it was, it was that or nothing. Uh, but, you know, I thought I would go and, and the slightly longer route, which was to go through being a rifleman first and then get, you know, skills up and spend some time at a battalion and then, and then taking the leap into the SF world. And naively, I kind of believed that that was going to be the case. And, you know, after I finished my basic and infantry training in 2011, I got posted to the 1st Royal Australian Regiment um, Infantry Battalion in Townsville. And, you know, just being completely honest, when I got there, I was just like, I was pretty blown away. I was just like, wow, this is, everything has changed now. I was like, this is not going to be me for the next few years. I need to start looking at how can I basically... You know, you know, shorten my timeline to start getting out of here um, quicker because it just wasn't going. Clearly, wasn't going to give me that challenge and give me that you know base of skills that I wanted to take, you know, into commando selection. So I actually had my application in to go for commando selection within probably six to eight months of being in the battalion, which is 
very, very unheard of. Uh, but I was able to get through and then, you know, I was, I was on selection probably only 14 months after my first posting as a, as an infantry soldier saw me doing selection in, uh, February, 2013, you know, endured the, the grueling, the grueling six weeks that was selection. And then the remainder, you know, nine or 10 months of the reinforcement cycle, it saw me uh, getting my green beret at the end of, uh, 2013 and then, um, joining the two commando regiment. How did the battalion respond to that motivation to, to quickly transition, you know, from big army to, to, to the special operations? Yeah, this is really interesting. And, and like I said, it's, it's, it's quite unheard of for someone to get in and then actually leave once they, um, you know, in such a short period of time. And, and what is unfortunately the case is a lot of time, like you generally your application needs to be endorsed by like your officer commanding the OC of your company and then also the CEO of the unit. And a lot of people don't act, they actually get blocked from getting out for various reasons. And, and I was actually lucky. I had the full support of, of everyone. I think they could just see that, that um, I was just meant for, for other things. And I, you know, I'm very thankful for the fact that I actually was supported right up to the, the CEO level who had, you know, just, I think he just heard of, heard of me as just this new green soldier who was just super keen. You know, I was really fit, which definitely helped. And yeah, I was just lucky that I actually just had all the support I needed to, to get out of there in record time. And in terms of that experience for selection at such a young age with, you know, limited infantering skills, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was tough. Uh, what can I say? I just, there was a lot of very experienced soldiers that were on selection and you, if you find yourself comparing you, yourself to them, but ultimately you just got to back yourself and, you know, they do have a program called the direct entry scheme where they have, you know, people come in off the street essentially and do kapuka and then basic training and then some more advanced training and then they roll straight into selection. So it's not necessarily about the experience that you bring into selection. It's just, where, are you the kind of person that they want? in their unit because they can train for skill, but it's like out in the civilian world, you know, train for skill, but higher for attitude. So after selection, that takes you to second commando regiment. What was your role and responsibilities there? So generally when you first post into two commando regiment, you're just a, a, um, a member of a, of a team and you start out just with like lower responsibility jobs. And as you, the longer you say, and you kind of work up the chain and you're handling kind of more things within the teams, um, the actual roles themselves kind of change depending on what your company or where your company is at in the rotation cycle. There's a number of different roles that um, each company will handle at any one time. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on where your company is at in the rotation cycle that you happen to get posted into. And you, I'm led to believe you did some time as a military dog handler. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so this is my last two years of my career. I was, um, I got posted into the the dog cell, which is really cool. I was, it was hollow in my career actually. I was, I was in Iraq at the time on um, Operation Aqua Rotation Six, and a good friend of mine. He called me when I was over there and he said, hey, I know you were thinking about doing the dog course. Um, there's one not long after you get back from overseas. Are you keen? He goes, like, I've got this dog. Uh, I want to hand him off to someone, but I want it to be you. And I was like, I'd, I'd heard of this dog and I know he was amazing. And and Will, he specifically asked me to take him. So I was like, man, how can I say no? This is like a, an amazing opportunity. And came back, had a bit of leave and then dived straight into the dog course. And for someone that's a, a big, massive dog fan and big dog lover, which I am, to be in that kind of role where you get to work with these, and these aren't just ordinary dogs as well. They are, you know, some of the, 
the, the best that their money can buy. They are really amazing animals and being able to work with them and train them and employ them in a, in a tactical sense was just a really, uh, just a really, really cool part of my career and it was definitely a highlight for me. And in terms of um, you know your time in Special Operations Command, do you kind of now reflect upon any significance moments and and periods of of your career in service? Yeah, there, there's a couple that I look back on that definitely, you know, it sort of shaped to like who you know to who I am today. There's like a couple of you know, there's one sort of key one that jumps out, which is a more negative one, and there's a you know there's a lot of positive ones, but the you know, being completely honest, like let's my, talk about the negative one. Yeah, 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 for sure. For we'll sure. end on a positive note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, you know, I not many people know this, but uh, my career actually had a bit of a bumpy start. Uh, my my month month two in the unit, I uh, got sent away on a course, and you know, basically just made a um, public mistake, had a little bit too much to drink, and you know, made made a made a mistake that was just didn't look good on the unit and I found myself in hot water very, very quickly and that's obviously a big no-no. It's, it's an adult's world within special operations and you get given a little bit of rope but if you hang yourself then that's kind of, that's on you. Uh, and I made, I made a big mistake and I was in hot water for, you know, very early in my career and I found myself in this space where, you know, it, it's a high-performing environment. A lot of people will know it's, it's not the easiest work environment at times and they, the, just the nature of the role really demands excellence and if you fall short of that, well, then life gets hard because there's, there's a standard and you need to meet it. Anyway, so I was essentially below the standard and I sort of hit, hit this dark spot where I was like, man, like, what am I going to do? This is, you know, how am I going to get myself out? And I come to the conclusion that I was just going to back myself, put my head down and just work harder than I ever have in my whole life and just grind and just hope that I'll, I'll get out of it. Um, you know, one thing led to another and it actually did, but it, it taught, taught me or just really cemented the idea that you know when your back's up against the wall when things are bad you know try just focus on where you want to be and just put your head down and just work and just give it everything you've got and you know you'll get through on your mindset during that time is there is that something that you kind of kept and contained within and just grinded out or did you lean upon any colleagues or was there anyone kind of in a leadership sense that kind of helped guide you through that change to be honest it was all it was pretty much all internal. It was kind of just one of those things. I think that at least me personally, I just had to do on my own. Um, there, there would have been support there had I wanted it, but I kind of was in the mindset of, I got myself into this. I'm going to get myself out, and ultimately that ended up with me, you know, carrying a lot more respect on the other side, having essentially just, you know, worked it off. Kind of thing that actually ended up shining more positively on me towards the back end. It was highlighted that I had. Just I busted my ass for a, you know, a good year straight. And then my platoon sergeant at the time, you know, every time there was a job that would come up, obviously my hand was just straight up like, yep, I'll do it no matter what it is. And then I remember the moment where I put my hand up and he looked at me and he goes, nah, you've done, you've worked it off. You're good now. And I was like, whoa. So then I, I'd come out of it without even realizing because I was just, I was just head down and just grinding. But it was just like an internal thing that I, I felt I had to deal with. We hear all these stories about hardship that um, various people go through within their service careers. Have you kind of reflected upon that and and thought, well, there's a moment for me to kind of provide some mentorship and, and maybe give back to others um, that have gone through similar experiences or or maybe a pr- approaching a situation very, very similar that you could that they could learn upon from your your experience? Yeah, for me, it was just like another 
it's kind of like selection, right? Like you were placed in this environment where everything's stacked against you and, and the easiest thing to do is just in selection you carry, for those aren't familiar, you have a, a little white card in your pocket that if things get too tough and you want to withdraw, all you've got to do is just pull it out and read the card to one of the DS and then the pain's over. It's like it's kind of like the easiest thing to do is just leave, whereas the hard thing to do is to stay in the moment and working towards your goal. It's kind of like a similar thing where like I could have, you know, it was pretty, it was a pretty low spot. I was like, man, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, what have I gotten myself into? And then I just thought, you know what? No, like I've never quit anything in my life and I'm ne- I'm definitely never about to start now. So um, yeah, the, for me, it was just, it was like another one of those tests and I'm, I'm glad I went through it because, you know, again, it's, it's another one of those hurdles that you've overcome. And when you face other challenges in the future, you look back and go, shit, like, what else have I overcome? I've overcome this, this, and this. I know I can achieve this next goal or overcome this next hurdle. In hearing your your service career and the challenges that you kind of went through uh, with that experience, I, I'm seeing, obviously, there's a lot of belief within yourself. How did that transpire into, you know, some elements that you reflect upon that were very positive experiences within your career. Yeah, and like 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 we were saying, like the good and the, the good and the bad makes makes the person. And life is certainly not all lollipops and rainbows. So I'm a big believer of you embrace the hard times head on, just as you do the good times. But you know, I don't want this to, to sound like you know my whole whole career was a, was a slog. That was just the very beginning, and, and it actually turned out to be an amazing career in the end. And there's so many really just positive and great experiences that I'll never forget. But a lot of them were just when I was overseas, like on deployment in that um, operational environment and you're working in small teams and there's a lot of responsibility being placed down even at the lowest level. And because our numbers are so small when we deploy over there, you know, the workload and the responsibility that everyone has is just is through the roof. And that's one thing that really separates us from, you know, the regular army is that responsibility that we get handled even at the lowest level. But there's just so many great experiences like, you know, being overseas on, in, in Iraq and Operation Okra. And, you know, I was in a small team environment and I just, you know, I had a couple of roles and I just, and everything I got handed, I just dived into it at 100% and just gave every, everything my all. I was not seeking, I didn't want anyone to tell me I was doing a good job. I just wanted to do it for myself because, you know, anything was worth doing is worth overdoing in my opinion. And, you know, I just wanted to give it all because I wasn't sure how many more of these deployments I would I'd be able to, you know, I'd be able to get given how restricted the numbers are. So I really just gave on that six month deployment. I just gave it everything that I had, and you know, the feedback that I got from some really senior people that I really admired was 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 just mind blowing. And I, you know, these people don't give out compliments very very much, and they just uh, told me that my work was just really valued, and the impact I was having. In that environment, and that was just something that I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. You know, just working, not not wanting any appreciation, but ultimately, ultimately getting it and knowing that you know you made a difference. That's a fascinating story about redemption, and and also you know leading into a part of your career, or or you know a strong part of your career around um, you know fulfilment. Were there any periods where, throughout your service career, that you reflected upon that weren't all that fulfilling? And how did you kind of break through them? Uh, this, I mean, with the with the military in general, you know, it's, there's, there's always, it's like that meme. It's like what my mum thinks I do, what my friends think I do, and then there's, you know, the what, what actually happens in real life. That's true of every job, and especially the military, while it sounds really sexy from the outside, there's a lot of things that 
while that might not be something that you really want to do or courses that you might not want to do, whatever, but that's just kind of in the way I see it, that's just part of it. And there's, there's plenty of that stuff, but I think it's, you got to take a step back and just look at the bigger picture. Like I'm just here fulfilling and su- supplying a capability. And for me, the penny kind of dropped when it was like, how does what I'm doing and the skill set that I'm learning or whatever the course I'm having to go do, how does it fit into the bigger picture? And that for me kind of made it a, a, much more, much easier to just go, okay, I guess I don't want to do this. And there's, there's lots of things about military life where you just, you sort of have to get on and do it. But I think if you view it from a big picture perspective, it makes it a lot easier. Wandering Warriors would like to say a big thank you to major sponsor Omni Executive. Omni's core business is to provide niche security, intelligence and training solutions. They're a major supporter of the veteran community, being run and operated by a veteran himself. An employer of over 200 ex-servicemen and women, including from the Australian Defence Force, senior police officers and intelligence specialists. Wandering Warriors is humbled to have such a great supporter of the programs that Wandering Warriors are driving around support and care for veterans and their families. And in terms of your transition, you know, the back end of your career, your 10-year service, what was that infliction point that made you change your mindset towards the future of, okay, where to from here? Yeah, so for me, even when I uh, set my sights on the military, I was fairly sure it wasn't going to be a lifelong thing. And for some people, you know, they finish high school and they go straight into the military and that's them forever. And, you know, all the power to them and we need people like that in the military. And But that was never – it was never going to be me. And then uh, for me, the inflection point was – it was kind of twofold. There's like a mental side and a physical side. But for me, the mental side is, you know, as people would know or can imagine, it's quite a demanding job. Um, you have to make a lot of sacrifices to be like in that sort of high octane environment. You know, most notably, you know, you're miss it, missing out on time with family and with friends and just away from from things that you would, um, you know, want to be doing otherwise. So there's a lot of sacrifices that needs to be made. And in order for those sacrifices to make sense, you know, you need to be really emotionally invested in what's going on because we're all contributing to something that's bigger than ourselves. Where it get, for me, what I started to identify was, you know, once I lost, I just, I lost the, the drive and the real, the passion to be an operator, which is for me, that just was the first sign that, okay, maybe I need to look at something else because as soon as you lose that drive, it's like any job, right? As soon as you lose that drive, that desire, that real fire to be there, the, the sacrifices and everything else, it, it's harder to justify to yourself. It doesn't make as much sense. So that was the first thing as I, I found I kind of lost that love for for the role a little bit. And then it was also the physical side, which is, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old now. I was 30 when I got out. You know, reality is I'm carrying a lot of injuries. Like my body is pretty, um, is pretty messed up. Um, and I'm staring, even now I'm staring down the barrel of a bunch of surgeries later in life and, and your body does get worn down. It is a hard job. And I was like, man, I don't know how much longer my body can handle this. And once there was the mental side and the physical side, for me, the decision was pretty clear, but you know, it was not just, obviously it's not just me carrying injuries. You know, the vast majority of, of guys are got it a lot worse than me and they're still managing to, you know, get the job done. But for me, those were the two, the two indicators. And in terms of that transition and making that step, was there any challenges that you faced in terms of exiting defence? Yeah, there was, and it's 
I think no matter who you talk to, I'm, I'm sure everyone would, to some extent would say that transition is always going to be a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, notwithstanding this, I was actually really pleasantly surprised the support that I received at every every turn throughout my transition, right from the the day that I put in my application to to the moment where I actually left. I was like really. Um, impressed with the amount of support that was available to me and how structured the process was and it wasn't it was it was quite a, a seamless process and there was a lot of support available so I mean I can't speak to what transition uh, was like five ten years ago but I mean now um, I mean to put it in perspective I got a phone call three weeks ago you know I've been out I've been on, I was on leave from September last year fantastic and I got a phone call three weeks ago from a um, warrant officer in the transition cell he's like hey How's it going? I was like, wow, uh, things are great. Thanks. And then I got, I'm getting surveys to follow up. So, you know, that side of it w- was was great. And I think the challenges that I faced were, you know, pretty unique to me. But I went on leave and I think it was September. And that was actually around the time where this business idea kicked off. So I, I actually just jumped straight into that. And, you know, for anyone that's ever set up a, a business, it's, um you know, there's a lot going on. And you kind of just, for me at least, I just, when I have this, ever-growing list of things to do and, and not enough time to do it. For me, I just kind of go into almost like work mode, like deployment mode, where it's kind of like the mission or the job matters above all else. And I find I wasn't actually taking care of myself. Like I stopped training. I kind of lost my routine. And it was it was like I was on on like a personal security detail deployment or something like that where I was it, – it was just like no matter what happens to me, I'll just – I won't sleep. I won't eat, whatever it does. I'll just get it done, whereas – that's not a great mindset for like for like longevity, right? So I find myself going into those work modes where I need to actually pump the brakes and go, you know, you need to still train. I need to still do my meditation, get in the ocean when I can. That's like really therapeutic for me. So that was a bit of a challenge that I faced is I lost my routine a little bit and I would, you know, strongly encourage anyone if, um, to ma- maintain their, um, their routine, especially around training and what keeps them healthy. So you share with us obviously that routine, which which is kind of, that there is just ingrained with you um, throughout your service career. Um, obviously, that's quite challenging when you kind of transition out um, where you don't have that relentless responsibility where you need to be here or be there at a certain time uh, or you are on on deployment. You then kind of have taken the step to be a small business owner and in addition to that, applied for a full-time MBA. Where did that lead to? Yeah, so the idea for the the business actually started a um, little after mid last year, and you know there was a due diligence process and all that kind of thing, and it, you know, still wasn't sure whether it was going to happen or not. And then when we decided to to pull the trigger on it, that was about the time when I went on leave from the army, so the timing was was sort of perfect. Um, set this business up, and you know, it's not just me as well. Like my partner Katie, she was always going to and does run the the day to day. And she does a great job of it, and I'm just kind of in the background supporting just where I can. But it's um, for me, the MBA, the opportunity for the MBA, just it couldn't have come at a better time. It was just, it was a perfect sort of setup. Whereas um, the business had most of the business, uh, the work to get the business off the ground had been done. You know, we launched in uh, the second of January, and you know, pretty much around that same time, uh, the opportunity presented itself for the MBA, and I was like, wow this would be a dream come true if I could get access to this scholarship because the sad truth is without it, there's just no way I would have been able to to do the MBA. And it just kind of worked perfectly. There was a bit of a 
interesting time once I told Caddy that I'd been accepted. And at, at that time, it was just me and her working. I, I was actually pressing the juices on the massive, you know, juice machine. And I was like, wow, we need to start getting some employees because I'm, I'm now out of here. So, because I, I got accepted into the program quite late and it was a bit of a mad scramble at the last minute, but um, man, just, it was just, uh, just the timing couldn't have been better. And uh, what a, what an amazing opportunity it's turned out to be. And fantastic in terms of timing, setting up your own business, learning, you know, fundamental business principles and how to run a business and the challenges that go with that, along with obviously the different uh, programs and methods and frameworks that you use to do that. Are you using any of your MBA skill set you've that you've acquired over the last uh, six months on the business? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, obviously it's full time, so we're studying for four subjects at a time and yeah i'd be completely remiss to say if there wasn't stuff from uh, each of those subjects that i'd be applying at any one given time so just like selfishly from my own business perspective doing an mba has already been so valuable you know let alone ultimately where it leads and what doors it opens up but yeah absolutely um you know i'm hoping to have more businesses in the future and you can it's just so easily see how much is just directly transferable i mean even from like the first week it's um it was just a bit uncanny and there's a bit of a military flavour with the Australian Graduate School of Management's full-time MBA program. Who's involved there from a lecturing standpoint and you know what subjects have they called upon ex-service men and women to get involved? Yeah, so in the early stages of the first term, we, there was like a, uh, a program run within the start of the MBA called uh, ALICE. And then they had um, Ben Pronk come, who's the former commanding officer of the Special And Service. ALICE stands for? Uh, adaptive leadership in complex environments, and it's a, a program where they take the whole cohort, uh, and, you know, and get them outside their comfort zone, and, and go into an outdoors environment where people are sort of like camping and sleeping out in the bush, and have all these activities. Like think like a very dialed down quasi sort of selection kind of thing. It's just designed to, you know, place a bit of pressure on people and, and see how people react. It's all about leadership in complex environments, and um, you know Ben Pronk was was heading up that as well as a bunch of um, ex. Um, special air service guys and that was really cool i'd never met ben before obviously i'd heard of him and i've had a lot of great chats with him actually just throughout the program and stuff and um yeah that alice was really cool i got to see um you know just everyday people who really unassuming like like girls like tiny girls who don't say a whole lot just like facing some of their biggest fears and multiple fears in the same day and like i'm sitting back and i was just taking all this in just watching everyone really rise up to this challenge i mean uh, that was, for me, that was absolute my favourite part about it. Well, that's unreal to hear. And in terms of um, the MBA uh, program now, are you in a period of downtime through that? You've got another, what, six months or is it another 12 months to go? Yeah, it's probably a bit shy of 12 months from now. It's a 16-month course in total. Uh, we've, we're just in a break now. We've just finished our first semester. So we're looking at graduation at, at about, I'd say, April next year. So we're just on a break right now, and then we're rolling into semester two, Monday coming. And your first semester, the experience as a whole? Oh, wow, where do I start? Um, you know, I've been, I think I've done a couple of videos for Wandering Warriors and stuff on people might have seen on social media, and the, the word I use is like transformative, and that couldn't be more true. Uh, to be, you know, to go from a, an environment like the, you know, the commandos and the special forces now being in the full-time um, studying environment 
it's just I'm so far outside my comfort zone. It's kind of crazy, which for me is just why I absolutely love it because, you know, that's where you grow. That's where where you really get to push yourself and and then it just um, really see what you're capable of. So the whole thing, I, I can't even pin it down to just one or two things that have been great. It, the whole thing's just really been fantastic, and the student cohort, like the other students studying the MBA with me, are just amazing and they I've joked with them before but I just spend like the whole time simply trying to keep up with them because you see these guys are you know they're all just machines like we've got doctors scientists one guy who's both um you know experienced um sports um physiologists we've got uh, experienced um finance professionals we've got management consultants we've got startup founders everyone in this like one class and even outside of the in the curriculum itself, we have like subject matter experts running lessons and classes outside of, you know, the curriculum to upskill everyone else from, you know, public speaking, consulting, uh, media, you know, I'm running and some of the other boys are running some lessons on investment and stuff. So yeah, it's just, it's just a crazy, crazy world to be dropped into. And it's just, it's just learning and, and growing it everywhere you look. And they talk about the MBA programs being very much centered around the network, around that cohort that you're with. You touched upon that is there any people within your cohort that you're really leaning upon in terms of that next phase of your career yeah and that the whole networking side that's really interesting and that's something i because i come in just sort of last minute just jumped into this program without a whole lot of um you know people some people prep for years to this kind of thing and i was fortunate enough just to be able to jump into it uh that it became obvious from like day one like they really stressed about their you know the academic side is, is half the journey. But one thing I didn't even consider was, you know, the, the, the real or half the value at least sort of comes in the networking that you utilize and the alumni that you connect with while you're there. Cause that's how you really leverage into your next position. And I couldn't even narrow it down to people within uh, my cohort that have helped me helping me out. I mean, there's, there's guys from, from roles that I actually want to go into from, from different countries and they've been amazing for helping me actually uh, identify that those roles within finance is what I wanted to go into. But also as well, there's a lot of um, alumni that I've been in contact with who's working in, in the industry that I want to get into and they have all just been awesome and they're always happy to give up their time and the career cell at AGSM, they do a really good job of connecting you with you know people that – that can help you to sort of set your um, plan in motion for whatever career you want to get into and make the most of the MBA. So, yeah, I couldn't just point out and say one person. It's just it's kind of like the whole environment is lending itself to, you know, networking and, and building those relationships. And you mentioned finance as that next step in your career. What specifically in finance are you looking to do? So I'm looking to go into either one of two roles. One is uh, – investment banking and emerges and acquisitions team or into private equity. It, it really depends on, you know, available roles. Private equity is generally a role which requires uh, more experience, but you know, there is people that have, have gone straight into it. So that's why I'm, I'm including that as well, because that is my ultimate goal. Um, you know, why do I want to go into these roles? It's, you know, I've come from a high performing, high, you know, high octane environment essentially. And I'm used to being involved, uh, working around high performing people who push each other. And while it's at the other end of the spectrum in regards to the job role, uh, I see a high performing environment in a corporate world being in, in similar kind of roles as like um, working in M&A or private equity. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, just a huge nerd for all things investment. Um, I want to be involved around, you know, deals, but 
also I don't just want to be like shoved in a corner somewhere working on models forever. I think a lot of my value lies in utilizing my previous military experience and engaging with people and clients and, you know, really utilizing all those leadership and, you know, the, all the soft skills that we really just take, almost take for granted throughout your whole military career. It's taken me a long time to figure out like where all those soft skills and all those skills that we develop, where can they plug into in, uh, you know, a civilian, a civilian world. And that's what, for me, that's what it's come down to. And if you sit there and reflect upon your military career and those soft skills, what do you take away and draw parallels to how that could be repurposed and utilised in your future profession in, in investment banking? Yeah, I mean, there's heaps. I mean, the, the easiest ones off the top of my head are sort of, um, you know, teamwork, dependability and integrity. If you think about, you know, the military, those soft skills definitely come to, to light. But for me, the ones that I've, I view as the most valuable is, is around like adaptability and flexibility. You know, in the military, obviously, you get exposed to a lot of very, very dynamic environments and you have to act accordingly. And it goes hand in hand with that as well is how do you deal in high stress environments, right? And while I'm saying there's not, it's a different kind of high stress environment when you're placed in a world of you're being involved in large transactions and there's a lot of money on the line, it's, there's still stress and there's still, um, you know, there's still a lot that can go wrong in those environments. And it's all about how do you conduct yourself in that? So, and as well, like I think for me, the absolute biggest one is I am just a problem solver by nature. Um, that side of me was really nurtured in defense in, in various ways. And now I want to continue to develop that. And I see, yeah, like a fast paced, um, high stakes environment uh, as a way to continue to nurture those skills. And in terms of investment banking, like financial modeling is a, is a big component of it, especially early on in your investment banking career. Um, my wife, as you know, works at KKR, so she baffles me with all this terminology and stuff that's going on there within their organisation. How are you adapting uh, and making that transition in terms of complex reasoning skills that are probably more military-specific to now repurposing them into a financial context? Yeah, and again, there's, this is much more overlap than people would think. Uh, for me, it's it's around attention to detail. It's around, you know, are you are you a problem solver by nature? Like, do you if you see a loose thread, do you want to pull on it and figure out what what's going on? Um, and, and you can apply those straight into a financial modeling perspective as well. I mean, I'm I actually did all the financial modeling and all the projections for uh, our current business. You know, with no real training, I just sort of taught myself. And admittedly, I'm a bit of a um, an Excel nerd. But I've definitely no form, um, you know, experience in financial modelling. But I just sort of taught myself into what makes sense, and it's, it's kind of uncanny. They actually the projections turned out to be. I mean, pre-COVID, obviously, no one could have anticipated that. But yeah, I was surprisingly more accurate within my models than I would have suggest. I would have first thought. But yeah, I mean, that's financial modelling is a very niche skill set for sure. And I have even now I've started um, some courses outside of um, outside of uni, and we've got some. Um, modeling coming up in this semester as well within the finance subject, the corporate finance, and we've got a, um, a data analysis and statistical modeling subject. And then once we get into our electives, uh, all mine are pretty heavily focused at finance and modeling as well. Um, while I, I, my value does lie, I think within interacting with you know clients and people, I do understand that you've essentially got to spend your time 
uh, behind the computer working on the models and then you know when the time is right you'll be able to interact with people but um, I, I'm very very confident by the time that uh, I'm going to start looking at placements and stuff that I'm going to have those skills pretty dialed in. Sounds like a, uh, a great step from a very successful career in the military. Talk to us about the Juice Company. Where does that fit within investment banking, studies, and you've just started up this company? <laughs> yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment, that's for sure. Um, yeah, the, the, the important thing to note is that I I, am, I don't actually handle the day-to-day, as I was saying, like Katie, Katie manages it. I mean, there's still... Um, I still have input into a lot of things, but I lean on her for all, all the day to day. And for me, this business it just it made so much sense in regards to because you know in business you don't invest in ideas, you invest in people and, and culture and stuff like that. And that to me was just super obvious when uh, we met the team from the Gold Coast because this brand has been developing there for the last eight years. And then through a, a personal relationship of Katie's, we brought the brand to Sydney and. Yeah, really just the the decider was, you know, the culture of the business was amazing. Their product is good. They have just really nailed down um, delivering value to the customer at all all points through the value chain. And that for me was the kind of the green light as well as a really high-end product. And then, you know, you launch in, we launched in January and then, you know, you have a global pandemic, you know, starts to rear up at the same time. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that we breezed our way through it. It was a pretty stressful time. And as a business owner, you have the responsibility to assess all possible scenarios and plan accordingly. And, you know, there, there was a while, a while when things were starting to shut down and we, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. But just through, you know, hard work, innovation, the company as a whole really just innovated and just and just stood up. And then rather than like everyone else, sales taking a dip, our sales actually exploded all through the, the, un, un, um, you know, the unknown of the coronavirus. And we've come out, I mean, not that we're at the back end of it now, but the business is now just um, completely exploding. We're just bringing on new staff and servicing more areas of Sydney. And yeah, it's moving really fast. All those Bondi hipsters having their cold pressed <laughs> juice in the morning. Yep, that's right. Uh, fantastic, Kirk. Um, in terms of your career, You've, you've shared with us your experiences um, in your early childhood and your motivation and desire to join the military. I'd love to know what takeaways would you give others that are in defence in terms of their transition and what they can experience in terms of that next step in their career outside of service? Yeah, this is a great question and I spend a fair bit of time thinking about this. For me, it's important to have a plan. Obviously, um, I actually had a, I had a plan to, and I actually had a job at uh, an investment bank. I won't say the name, but to walk about halfway through last year, I had a job at an investment bank and then I put my application into discharge and then went on leave and then the job fell through and I was like, shit. Uh, okay. But I, so I didn't have a plan B and I should have, right? Like if you think about it, it's, it's a big step that you're taking. So I would encourage people to have a plan, but also just think about what would happen if that fell over. I mean, this is just me talking about my experience and, and I touched on this before, but keep your routine going. And, you know, for me, I let my training go a little bit. And I know that I definitely shouldn't have. So whatever your routine is, if it's yoga, if it's meditation, if it's surfing, whatever, you know, I encourage you to keep that up because it gives you like an anchor to still keep some routine going. And I would also say like, if you can uh, seriously consider some form of study, because for me, it's just I can't almost can't even put it into words like how 
how powerful this experience has already been for me and, and I know will continue to be in orders of magnitude. And it's just, it's, it's given me a lot of structure. It's given me a lot of really great direction and it's going to open up some pretty amazing doors. So for, for anyone that's considering any kind of study or especially the MBA, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And obviously it's not um, doable for everyone, but if, if you think you can make it happen and uh, I would strongly encourage people to pursue some kind of, you know, some kind of education to continue to upskill themselves to, you know, for whatever comes next. I'd like to thank you, Kirk, for coming on to talk openly about your experiences, the perseverance and drive you exhibited in your service career. You gave some great insights into how one can look to approach their transition and, and use education to underpin the next phase of of their career and also lean upon experiences from the military to keep that sense of purpose and calm, especially when entering a phase of your life that's uncertain in, in leaving defence. Hey, Dan, thank you very much for having me. It was um, my pleasure, and we'll have to do it again soon. Most definitely. I'll catch you at the beach, mate. To all of our sponsors, Safran, Omni Executive, Stripe International, and our education partners, University of Queensland, the Australian Graduate School of Management, and University of New South Wales, thank you. For all those that would love to know more about Wandering Warriors programs, please visit www.wanderingwarriors.org or you can email me directly at dan.parker at wanderingwarriors.org. We have a whole host of events taking place once the social distancing measures ease. We'll look at these events as an integral part of keeping our veteran community close. You'll hear more about our annual T20 cricket game that we host annually in Sydney along with our upcoming veteran touch football tournament supported by the NRL and Touch Football Australia. Also, stay tuned for our veteran surfing event at the new Urban Surf Wave Park facility in Melbourne later this year. So that's all today. Please stay healthy, keep fit, keep connected to your tribe, and practice social distancing. Until next time, who dares wins. A big thank you and appreciation to the Australian Graduate School of Management team and my colleagues in the class of 2021 full-time MBA. The experience supported by Wandering Warriors has been life-changing.